time to make the crunch time plays. Now your host, Bennett Gainey. Crunch, crunch, crunch time this is Pat Smith from Three Man Front, and you're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin with Sports Illustrated's Dogs Daily. You're listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Tara Talmadge with the Pig Trail Nation, and you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hey, it's Jim Dunaway from the next round. And when it comes down to the final ticks on the clock, always look for crunch time plays. What's up, everybody? Welcome back into Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks so much. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Got another exciting episode for you today covering Texas A&M. Hadn't hit on them yet in the preseason. Very excited to welcome Robert Barron's in here from Good Bull Hunting, their SB Nation fan site, to make sh- to talk about AM today. But first of all, want to give a shout out to our brand new partner at prizepicks.com, number one daily fantasy sports app. They've got anything you want over there. They've got fantasy over unders, they've got NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, and even college football futures this year. They're debuting those, something that we're very excited about on the show. We're going to be giving our college football picks every week during the season. The, whether it's passing yard over-unders, receiving yard over-unders, we're going to have it all for you for our favorite fantasy props during the season. And if you use the code CRUNCHTIMEPLAYS, sign up today on prizepicks.com. You automatically get that 100% deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com. Use the code CRUNCHTIMEPLAYS, and let's make the crunch time plays throughout the season. But very excited to welcome Robert Behrens in here, the guy that's really been looking forward to having on. Uh, for the past couple weeks, we finally got it set up. And Robert, hope you're doing well, brother. And hope you're, you know, it's almost time for football season. Yeah, dude. Hey, I mean, glad to be here. Uh, and like you said, seasons now, it's it's just days away. It's that time of year where it's it's super close, but it's also so far away. So I think we're all just, just super anxious for the season to finally get going. And yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, and getting very excited for the season we're approaching game week you know next next week will will be game week so we're very excited about that and and you know when we're talking about a&m there you got to mention the the news coming out about the starting quarterback haynes king i know you were looking for for a nickname for him i mean if taking suggestions you know i like to go with haynes burger king i mean he's certainly having it his way right now being the starting quarterback uh being named by jimbo fisher at texas a&m but but, you know, I know a lot of people, including myself, thought that Haynes King was going to be the guy to just looking back, thinking about watching him in the spring game. I know you can't really tell very much from the spring game, but just hearing the reports during the offseason about the progress that he made and throughout fall camp as well. He definitely seems like the the better option. And, and Zach, I'm sure Zach Calzada is going to play, you know, in the opener. But you want to keep him hot as well. But – but Haynes King, I did want to ask you just your generic thoughts on that. And you know we're coming off of, of Kellen Mond. This will be the first time in the Jimbo Fisher era that somebody other than Kellen Mond hadn't taken the snap under center. But it seems to me that that Haynes King, with his mobility, being able to to create that option, extra option in the run game as well, it seems like that this offense has the capability of being even more explosive than they were under Kellen Mond. 
Um, I think it definitely has that capability. Um, and I think the biggest question is how much we're going to see Jimbo change his offense to suit Haynes King. Um, because, you know, Kellen Mond was an athletic guy. Um, you know, he, he had, he had speed. He was pretty elusive. Um, and a lot of Aggie fans, uh, I think wished over the past several seasons that we would have seen him run more. And it seemed like that that was a little bit coached out of him that you, that he really looked like he was being coached to stay in the pocket, to hang in there and, and try to read the defenses. So it'll be interesting to see how much that changes, if at all, because you're right, Haynes King, he's supposedly got legit like 4.5 40 speed. Um, you know, guys have said he's one of the fastest players on the team. And that's, it's been hard to see from the fans perspective because you go back to the spring game, like you said, and of course, you know, they're wearing the green non-contact Jersey. So he's not doing a whole bunch of scrambling around and same thing in fall practice. Um, so outside of high school highlights, which, you know, it can be so hit or miss of how to interpret those because the level of competition is, is so much different. Um, but we've been told over and over that, that just it's a super athletic guy. Um, so you hope that they're going to take advantage of that and put that to use. Um, I think that especially makes sense because the strength of AM's offense last season was the offensive line, and they lost four of those five starters. Um, now, the one you bring back is Kenyon Green, who's former five-star recruit, likely first-round NFL draft pick this coming year. Um, but anytime you're bringing in four new guys on the offensive line, you know, it may take those guys some time to gel. Um, or, you know, you may just see guys that aren't as good as the players that just left. So knowing that you may not have those clean pockets that you had last year, um, I think absolutely it makes sense to go with the guy who is more mobile, who's going to be more athletic and can make some plays with his feet, because I think there's a good chance that you're going to need that even more than they did last season. Yeah, that's definitely true. And you know, when you're replacing four offensive linemen, that's certainly a, a thing that I've, I know Jimbo Fisher has, has taken into account. And but I did want to ask you about the, you know, the kind of the start of the season when talking about that offensive line, it seems like, you know, the A&M's got a little bit of a of an easier kind of leading up leading into the season. Obviously, starting out with with Kent State, I know you do have to go on the road there uh, to Colorado in the second week. I know Vanderbilt's also going to be uh, in Colorado that week as well. I feel like that's probably the first time that two SEC teams have played in Colorado on the same day. But and so that's obviously going to be a a challenge for, from a possibly an elevation uh, standpoint. You, know, you never know where, what you're going to expect going out there and then you got New Mexico coming back home in week three. So it definitely gives you the opportunity for the offensive line to be able to, to work out the kinks and be able to, to communicate as a, as a unit while you're getting ready for your more important games of the season. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's just like so many teams, you start off the year with um, a couple of warm-up games and, all due respect to Kent State and New Mexico, but that's exactly what those are. That's, you know, you hopefully knock off the rest from fall practice. You get in some of the reserves, you know, to get some playing time, and you just hope you don't get out with any injuries. Um, I think the Colorado game is, you know, certainly could be tricky. That's a, that's a power five team. You're playing them 
not not actually at their home stadium. Um, the game is actually at Mile High in Denver instead of being in Boulder, uh, which I'm a little bit bummed about just from an atmosphere perspective. Uh, but and the good news is that'll I think allow a lot more Aggie fans to travel and be at that game than there would have been otherwise. Um, but and then you after that you start off SEC play and you I think lead off with Arkansas at uh, AT&T Stadium in Dallas, which even though A&M has won nine straight in that series that we've won every game since we joined the SEC, uh, it seems like that's almost always a weird game. There's been like multiple times it's gone to overtime or just had really just crazy wacky twists and turns. So it's been a much closer game if you just look at individual games than it is like if you just look at it and say we've won nine in a row. Um, and then uh, going back and hosting Mississippi State the week after that, which, you know, I think they're a big wild card this year because last year, I'll be honest, year one under Mike Leach was not that great. I think they would all admit that. Uh, but we'll see what they can do in year two, what that offense does. Um, and so while there's certainly bumps in that road, then there's several of those games that if you don't play well, certainly could be losable. Uh, I think absolutely a fans are going to be disappointed if we're not 5-0 and to begin the season. Because that's what the expectation is. Uh, and if you're 5-0 after those first five games, it means that you're undefeated and then welcoming Alabama into town on October 9th. Um, and I feel like that's the real pivot point in a and season. And that's going to really determine, um, you know, just the ceiling for the rest of the year. Because if you can go in and obviously knock off Alabama – or really, honestly, even if you just play a really close game and just come up just short, I think you're still in the the hunt for a playoff spot and everything's on the table. Um, but if we go into that game and we get blown out by 28 points again, uh, I think in your, it, it really changes the outlook for the rest of the year. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, like you, like you said, A&M was certainly uh, in that, kind of position to possibly make the college football playoff last year. I think, you know, I think the committee got it right with Notre Dame, but certainly, you know, you got to think if you, if you played Alabama a little bit uh, closer in that game, that this, you might've gotten the, the nod for that fourth spot. But when you, you know, we kind of mentioned the, the, obviously Haynes King's the quarterback who's, who's weapons around him. Obviously they have so many, so many guys, uh, so many talented guys on offense coming back Isaiah Spiller to start off with in the running back room is he is he in your mind the uh, the best running back in the SEC or how how would you kind of rank the if you if you were to go about ranking the the top three running backs in the SEC where would Isaiah Spiller fall on that list for you um I would say I mean he's easily top three um it now obviously it's so hard to compare but I would say he's right up there with Tank Bigsby uh, over at Auburn and and your guy is South Carolina, whose name actually escapes me at the moment. So I apologize for that. Oh, yeah, Kevin Harris. Kevin Harris, there you go. I think that, you know, those three guys, you know, really like the stats speak for themselves as far as what they're able to do. Um, I think the biggest thing for Spiller this year, just as far as, you know, as people are trying to compare the various backs, the hardest part may be that he's not going to get the full workload. Um because as great as he is, and some people put him as a you know potential first round pick if he can if he can have a great season, and also has 
uh, a great guy right behind him in sophomore uh, Devin A. Chain, who, you know, really had some breakout games last season, including that big uh, Orange Bowl MVP performance against North Carolina. Um, so he's right behind him. And then you have Anaya Smith, who is kind of A&M's little Swiss Army knife, who he'll line up in the backfield, he'll line up in the slot. Um, and, you know, he'll just do a little bit of everything. And I think between those guys and also, like we mentioned before, Haynes King being such a running threat as well, you may see it where AM has an even better rushing attack than they did uh, the past couple of years. But maybe Spiller's stats individually uh, aren't at that same level where they had been. Um, but, I mean, but overall, just I say the greatest thing about him is just his uh, like vision and just how elusive he is. Because he's a guy that he's not, I mean, he's fast, but he's not, he didn't have just like breakaway sprinter speed like some guys. Um, but he has the ability um, to just, he'll be in space, he'll be in a hole, and he can make that first guy or those first two guys miss, and then all of a sudden he's off to the races. And and like also surprisingly physical for a guy that size. Yeah, he really is, and he's certainly be in the in the top three uh, for me as well. But yeah, I'm like you. I'm very interested to see what what Devon A. Chain's going to do. Adding the RPO game with with Haynes King going to be very key, especially uh, in the red zone when those you know, adding the the quarterback run ability when those windows shrink a lot down in the red zone. Certainly a a viable option to to for Haynes King to use his legs. That's, you know, that's why I, you know, I thought Max Johnson at, at LSU was was going to be the guy just because of his uh, mobility. That's you know just where the game's uh, headed now. And I did want to ask you about this wide receiver room. I know a lot of people have, have kind of underestimated it last year, but it seems like to me that this group is is really poised to to have a really great year. I mean, you mentioned Anaya Smith already being a Swiss Army Knife guy. I put out my SEC West uh, crunch time players uh, earlier in the week, and he and he was the guy that that I chose for A and M. Even though I definitely could have gone so many different ways, you know, Jalen Wattemeyer or, or Isaiah Spiller or any any just have so many weapons. But but looking at this wide receiver room, Robert, it really seems to me like you know Caleb Chapman tore his ACL after the Florida game last year. He was going to be a guy that that could have put up a lot bigger numbers than he did, but but he's back now. You got Chase Lane back. Jalen Preston was a guy that that contributed last year. Hezekiah Jones was contributed last year. Just what do you see coming back for this this wide receiver room? Really seems like they're they're one of the underestimated groups uh in the conference this season. And, and is there any, you know, freshmen that, that have come in or or anybody else that in that wide receiver room that you think people really need to be watching out for this year? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I would say that one of the biggest things I think a lot of people are underestimating with this group is just the fact that everybody is back. Um, and, and there are going to be some new faces that I'll talk about. Um, but AM fans in particular, you know, we saw what a difference in the college game, just having a year of development can make for a position group with that offensive line, because, you look at AM in 2018 and the offensive line was like the like the worst unit on the team. And then fast forward one year later, it's the exact same players, uh, but it was the strength of the team. And it was just that extra year of development, that extra year of learning the system. And um, 
I think so often in college, we're so focused on like the young studs and recruiting rankings and things like that. And people don't think about just the fact that like, that these guys just have, you know, being another year older, another year doing the strength and conditioning program, another year knowing the playbook and working with quarterbacks and working with their teammates. So you can have the exact same players, but all of a sudden have a much better production. And so I think you're going to see that out of guys, like you mentioned, like Chase Wayne, we've heard a lot ton of like positive reviews from him at a camp of just like, Hey, like he's, he's gotten stronger and more physical, but also he's just, he's a leader and he knows the playbook inside and out. And he just, you know, he knows where he's supposed to be on every single play. Um, you mentioned Caleb Chapman, who was a guy that, you know, he, he torched Florida in that big when we had over them last year, which is when he tore his ACL. Um, so he's back, he's back at full strength. He's doing full contact and practice. So he's ready to go. Um, two guys I'll mention that, you know, we did not see last year really are, uh, the first one is Demond Demas, who is, he is, a, he's going to be a sophomore. He was a like five-star national top 50 player in AM's 2020 recruiting class. And, a guy that I think a lot of A&M fans were shocked that we didn't see last year, uh, just because, you know, you see the five-star ranking, you see all the hype behind him. Um, but the bottom line is that in Jimbo's system, it's actually pretty rare for freshman receivers to get on the field and make a significant impact. Um, so he's a guy that he's actually been battling some injuries in camp, but he's back. So um, you know, I think he has all the upside in the world. So certainly he's a guy that if he can – pick things up and earn his way onto the field. He's a difference maker. Um, and another name that we've been hearing a lot out of camp is Yul Keith Brown, who is a recruit out of Florida, uh, a true freshman uh, in the 2021 class. And, you know, he's, he's been on punt returns. He's been lining up in the slot and like everything you hear is just maybe he's a little bit raw. He's certainly still learning the playbook, um, but just, lightning fast you know just like speed 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 and you know and that's that's why you need those positions obviously the most important thing is to have guys that know where they're supposed to be and that are making good decisions but you know the difference between being good and being great is those guys that when they get the ball in their hands they can make a play and they're just better than everybody else on the field um, and so I think AM has the chance to I'm, they're not going to be the best receiving core in the SEC. I think that's probably still Alabama. That's, and there's probably a, a few more teams ahead of A&M in that regard. Um, but I think they have the ability to certainly, I think, acquit themselves and, you know, and help this team achieve some great things. Yeah, definitely. And and certainly there's obviously you're, you're right. A few other positions, a few other wide receiver groups that, that you could put, over A&M, Alabama, Georgia went healthy, some, a couple other teams. But the kind of rounding out the offense before we move over to the other side of the ball, defense, obviously the tight end room, Joe Weidermeyer's obviously one of the top tight ends uh, in the country, especially now that, that Kyle Pitts isn't at Florida anymore. And he's, but he's certainly a guy that, that is going to be a, a top pick in the, in the NFL draft, a guy you can go to on any in anywhere in the on the field, especially in the red zone. But curious to find out your your opinion on a couple of other uh, tight ends in the room. Here, heard a lot about possibly a Baylor Cup in camp, and a lot of a couple other guys contributed last year in the passing game. But but outside of Weidermeyer, we know how 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 great he is. 
who are a couple of those other tight ends that, that can spell him and, and get catches uh, in the red zone and, and be big contributors in the passing game and, and in the run blocking game this year. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with Baylor cup first off, because uh, he's a guy that came in in the same recruiting class as Jalen Weidermeyer. And in fact, cup was the top tight end recruit in the country in 2019. Um, unfortunately, the past two seasons in, in 2019 and 2020, he suffered season-ending injuries in fall camp. And so we've yet to see him have a single play in actual game action at AM. But, I mean, all of the potential in the world is there. I think the guy's like, he's, he's like 6'7", 240 or something. You know, he's, and he's, you know, and, and fast. He's, he's a lot like Weidermeyer. He's, like, he's not quite as big, um, just weight-wise, but he's actually taller. Um, so I think he'll certainly be the first tight end off the bench. I wouldn't even be surprised if AM starts seeing a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of two tight end sets, or even flexing those guys into the slot, just because, you know, as you just mentioned, that a lot of people think the wide receiver is where AM is a little bit thin. So having what really is like, if they're healthy, a wealth of talent at tight end, I think you might see them try to take advantage of that and really create some mismatches because if you you know are able to do that and you're you're forcing linebackers to cover these guys down the field i think you can you know like really create some big plays and that's something that jimbo has done you know every year in his time here you go back to obviously the past two years of of weiermeyer but also before that uh jace sternberger who's you know now now in green bay uh i think each of the first three years here in college station a tight end has been in the top three in receiving yards on the team. And for Sternberger, he led the team in receiving yards back in 2018. Uh, so I think that they've you know, found a lot of ways to get the ball to the tight ends. And with the talent level, uh, that's I think that's certainly going to continue. And now one other guy I'll also touch on is uh, Eli Stowers, who's a true freshman, actually a true freshman quarterback uh, out of uh, Denton here in Texas. But because of the, you know, the depth AM already had at quarterback and just his athleticism that they wanted to try to take advantage of, he's been working at tight end in fall camp. And, you know, from everything we're hearing, he's looking really good. Now, I think he's a guy that probably, he probably needs another year um, just because he is new, you know, to the position, not just new in the AM system, but new to the position, period. Um, and also, while he's got the frame for it, I think he probably needs to add a little bit more size before he's really ready to be a tight end in, in the SEC. Um, but it'll be interesting to, to watch that and see how that goes, because I think certainly with everyone anticipating Weidermeyer likely going to the NFL draft next year, uh, this may be maybe an heir apparent uh, for when he's gone in 2022. Definitely, and I'm I'm like like we talking about. I'm very excited to see uh, what Bear Cup's going to do. As you mentioned, hadn't hadn't seen him on the field yet, so just being able to to watch him this season. Certainly, a, a guy that that's tall. He's six seven. Obviously, a guy you can go to uh, in the red zone and he stretching the, down the middle of the field as well. But but moving over to the defensive side of the ball, Mike Elko is the obviously the defensive coordinator, one of the top assistant coaches in the country and and when I look at the the defense of course it all it all starts up front with with DeMarvin Leal who may be the best defensive player 
in the SEC, if not if not one of them, you know, outside of, of maybe Derek Stingley Jr. from from LSU or or Jordan Davis at Georgia, a couple of different guys like that, certainly in the top three in SEC defensive players. Uh, in my mind, it, kind of a, a shame that he wasn't uh, he wasn't selected uh, in the the coaches all SEC first team. I thought that was kind of a of a shaft for him, but I know he's going to have an amazing year. But but when you look at the defensive line, obviously they're the strength of the unit, especially with the especially with the linebacker Buddy Johnson gone now. But who are who are some guys on on defense? It can be on the line. It could be in the linebacker core or secondary. It seems like they have a lot of promise up front on the defensive line because it all starts in the up front on in this league. Shamar Turner's a true freshman. McKinley Jackson's another guy that that can play meaningful snaps of uh, this year. But in the so who are some of the other guys that that you are looking at defensively uh, for A and M? to really contribute, not only you know, contribute a lot of a lot of tackles, but can be able to to force some turnovers because that's really the name of the game now, getting off the field on third down and, and forcing those turnovers. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the defensive line, I think, um, in addition to the guys that you mentioned. Um, and, you know, I'm like Lee Al topping that list, certainly, because I feel like it's the third time I've said it on this podcast, but it's true. Another guy who, if he has a great season, is probably going to be – gone and going in the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, but a couple other names there uh, and who are both actually like super seniors who came back because of the COVID year. And that's uh, Michael Clemens and, uh, and Jaden Peavy and Clemens being a defensive end and Peavy defensive tackle. You know, that's just two guys who you know, were very productive last year. And, you know, it's just like anytime you can on the defensive line, make it to where instead of losing three of your four players, you only lose one, you know, that's, that's a huge, a huge boost for your defense. Um, so defensive line has been the strength of the defense since Jimbo came to town. And that's, I think absolutely going to be the case this year. Uh, you mentioned Shamar Turner, who's a true freshman, uh, five-star guy who I think, you know, was an edge rusher in high school. He's actually been working a lot um, on the interior. I think just because that's, the clearest path for him to see the field. And he's a guy that's talented enough that you want to be able to get him on the field any way you can. Um, so, I mean, I mean, but that position group in particular is so deep that it's, it's such a luxury that even if one of those guys goes down or even two of those guys go down, you're, you're really not worried because you're still going to have productive, like SEC caliber players coming in right behind them. Um, outside of that, I would say, some of the other really big names are, and this, and, and I hate to do this because, but I mean, it shows, I think how excited about AM I am, how confident I am in the season we're going to have is you ask me, Oh, who are going to be like the star players. And I had to fight myself from just like going through the entire starting 11. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and I know, cause no one wants that. Um, but, but Jalen Jones at corner, uh, he's a true sophomore, another five-star guy who, you know, he started every game as a true freshman. Um, and, you know, he took his licks. I think he got burned a couple of times against Alabama. But when you're a true freshman that you're, you're trying to guard Devontae Smith and John Mechie and Jalen Waddle, that's going to happen. Um, but, yeah, certainly you expect for him to take the next step this year, be even better. Um, and then I'll name one more super senior, and that's Aaron Hansford at linebacker. 
and he, he's the guy that it's kind of that story that you'd love to see that he's, you know, it's his sixth year at the school. He's, he battled, he had several season ending injuries. He's switched positions multiple times. I think he started off as a, like a tight end. Then he got him moved around to H back and wide receiver. And finally last year, Jimbo tried him out at, at linebacker and, and it stuck. He had a great year last year. Um, and actually had an invitation to the senior bowl last year that he declined uh, to be able to come back and I think, you know, get one more season of college ball and hope and hopefully establish his game tape and maybe even have a shot at the next level. But, and linebacker in particular, that's been such a weak spot for AM. Like not historically, because historically you, you look like, you know, that Wynn and Quentin Coriot and, you know, in the RC Slocum area, like AM was, was right up there with Penn State as being like linebacker you. Um, but in the past probably 10 to 12 years, it's just been a, a black hole um, where, you know, we, we had times where we had walk on starting a linebacker or if nothing else, just you were always in that spot where even if you liked your starters, you were just like, man, if one of these guys gets injured, we're just beyond screwed. Um, and that's a testament to just the, the program that Jimbo has been building. Cause I think that's really the case across the board that um, it's not just that you have a handful of those like top level guys at certain positions. It's that you have like, yeah, you have these five-star guys that you also have them surrounded by a bunch of four stars and, Oh, if they get hurt, here's this other like four-star player to come in behind them. Um, and that's the program you have to try to build. If you're going to try to compete with Alabama and Georgia and LSU, I mean, cause that's exactly the talent that they have. And, and yeah, that's, that's what A&M is trying to do. And that's, you know, I think that's where our expectations are going into 2021. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. And the defensive, obviously going to be one of the stronger units in, in college football this season. And kind of as we're looking at the big picture, kind of, kind of zooming out from the specifics, just looking at the season in particular, just a couple questions that I have for you before I let you run is what is the team in the West, when you look at the West, that scares you, if you're A&M, that scares you the most? Is it is it LSU with, with Max Johnson to back up against the wall mentality, the weapons that they have, the receipt, or the defense, that, that a lot of the improvements that they're going to be made on defense? Or is it Ole Miss with, with Matt Corral, high-powered offense? you got to think their defense is going to be at least a little bit better this year with the JUCO guys and the and the way they've recruited, or is it you know some something like Arkansas and Dallas where you mentioned that that the game has been so tight the past you know five or six years? Because really, I think that game is going to be an absolute fist fight coming down to the wire. So if you if you're A and M, who is the team in the West that that scares you the most that you are not looking too forward to playing this year outside of Alabama? Um. I think it really is Ole Miss. Um, and, and part of that might just be kind of the, the fear of the unknown um, because we did not play them last season. Last season, Ole Miss was our one game that got canceled because of COVID and never got made up. Um, and while certainly, you know, that defense for them last year left a lot to be desired, but that offense looks incredible. And yes, Elijah Moore is gone, but you kind of, just trust that Lane Kiffin, especially with a quarterback like Corral, is going to be able to put up a lot of points, uh, especially with that game being in Oxford. Um, you know, just anytime you have an offense that can score that many points, crazy things can happen. Um, 
and and they really do I think scare me more than LSU only because while LSU is more talented you look at their blue chip ratio and it's really not even comparable to Ole Miss um, but I think there's a lot of doubt of whether Ed Orgeron is really the right guy for this program right now um, that sounds a bit absurd when we're less than two years removed from a national title um, but the bottom line is that you know, last I have seen him without Joe Brady, without Joe Burrow, the results have not been great so far. Now, you know, maybe they can write that ship. I know they brought on a lot of new staff. They're, you know, they're not suffering like the huge personnel losses they did the previous season. So could they bounce back? Absolutely. Um, but I think there's also significant doubt of, um, of if they are going to bounce back. I don't think they'll be as bad as they were last year. Uh, but I think it's not just an automatic that they're going to, just springboard right back to being one of the top teams in the SEC West. Um, and I'll give you one more team um, that's actually not in the West. It's in the East. Um, but I think a big trap game for AM could be going to Missouri one week after we host Alabama. Um, and really, regardless of the outcome of that Alabama game, that could be a huge letdown spot because if you lose to Alabama, and that's a huge – letdown uh, for the team, you know, maybe they can't quite get back up right away for, for a road game the very next week. And by the same token, if we beat Alabama and the team is just on cloud nine and already having visions of going to the SEC championship game, going to the college football playoff, uh, it could be easy for that, that game one week later to sneak up on them. Because Mizzou's not going to be a slouch this year. That's going to be a team that you have to play well to win, especially on the road. Um, and so it could be in a tricky spot for a and Yeah, definitely. I'm with you. I'm with you on Missouri because, you know, like you said, it's the week after the Alabama game. Then the, the key, if you do lose to Alabama on October 9th, is to not let Alabama beat you twice. And if you're if you go into to Missouri, a, a team that was five and five last year in Coach Drinkwitz's first year, and then you got Connor Baselight back the quarterback. Obviously lost Nick Bolton on defense, but you picked up some guys in the transfer portal on defense for Missouri. Now actually having a spring practice, actually having a, a normal summer, being able to to get that program where where Coach Drink wants it in in Como. I really do think that, like you, I think that that could be a very huge game because obviously you don't want Alabama to to beat you twice if you lose to them and and you certainly don't want it to be uh, that letdown spot for you either. Yeah. And that was something I think hopefully this team learned a lot from last season because last year, you know, we went on the road, got blown out by the tide. Um, but the very next week is when we came back and, and knocked off the top 10 Florida team at home. Um, and, and Jimbo spoke a lot about that game kind of being the turning point of when those guys really like learned, learned how to not just play well, but learned how to win games. Um, because from that point on, you know, they're now on an eight game win streak and every game since then they've won by double digits. Um, now you could, you could point to some of that being the level of competition. We haven't played, you know, someone like, like Alabama and that time span, certainly. Um, but I think that's all been part of just the team building, the culture building that uh, Jim has been trying to instill is that, you know, it's not just getting up for the big game. It's creating your own energy. It's being up for every game because, you know, every game that you play matters exactly the same. Yeah, it definitely does. And so, 
you know, obviously I got to ask you about that Alabama game, but you know, I could can't get you can't bring you on here without asking you about the Alabama game. I know we're probably definitely going to have you back on before then, but but whenever you look at it, you look at the Alabama game for from the 30,000 foot view before dive into the season, is Jimbo the first assistant to beat Nick Saban this season and what are some of the keys to knocking off the tide. I know obviously you want to see Haynes King in this offense really, really round into form. They certainly have the games to be able to do that before the Alabama game. And so ultimately in your mind, is this the year that, that A&M beats Alabama? I know we've been building up to this for a long time. Jimbo's entering his fourth season. He's got the recruiting to where he wants it, building an absolute a monster in in college station with the with the way they've recruited over the past couple of years. So, so is is this roster ready? Is this the year that that A and M beats Alabama? Um, I think the roster is definitely ready. Um, now, are they like right on par, neck and neck with Alabama? No, because really nobody is. I mean, maybe Georgia, um, but I think A and M is close enough to where you know, it's going to be a game. It should be a game. Um, as far, as far as the keys to doing that, I think there, there are two big things that I look at going into that may decide the outcome of the game. The first one just on the A&M side, I think is just not, not doing the things to beat yourself. Um, and I use last year's game as a prime example because you look at the final score and say, Oh, they lost by 28 points. It was a blowout. Um, but the last couple possessions of the first half really is what decided that game because Anum had the ball only down seven and then Kalamon throws a pick six. So now you're down 14. Anum gets the ball back. They're driving. They get just past midfield. They go forward on like a fourth and two and Anaya Smith just drops a wide open pass for a first down. Alabama goes down again, scores again. And so now you're down 21 points. Whereas, you know, if you just like, don't throw a pick six and you just punt or, you know, on that missed fourth down, if you convert that, you end up scoring, you're looking at, you know, maybe only a a one score game going into halftime and that game could be drastically different. Um, But because, you know, A&M makes those plays and beats themselves, it's 21 points at half and that's game over. You're not coming back from that against Alabama. Um, So the biggest thing is just not doing the things to take yourself out of the game. Um, And then, the other one I think is just going to be, do we see that Alabama offense take a step back from just the absolute juggernaut that it has been the past few years? Um, and you can look at, you know, the talent going out the door, which certainly there was a lot of talent that left. Um, but if we've learned anything about Alabama is that they're really going to just bring in guys behind them. that are just as talented as the guys that left. Um, so I don't know how much of a difference that'll make. Certainly, you know, Bryce Young's play is going to go a long way in determining that offensive ceiling. Um, but I think just as important is the turnover in their offensive staff, you know, because everyone knows about Steve Sarkeesian going to Austin. He also took, I think, two or three offensive assistants with him. They had uh, one other guy that uh, took a head coaching job. And so that's essentially like an almost entirely new offensive staff uh, led by Bill O'Brien. And of course, I live in Texas, um, and anyone that's a Houston Texans fan can tell you that that guy is not just like an offensive savant. Um, so 
will he be able to do good things based on the talent they have in Tuscaloosa? Sure. Um, but I think you could easily see that Alabama offense take a little bit of a step back where maybe it's still good. It's still like top 15 in the country, but it's not top three. Um, because the difference, you know, going from 15th to third, that's like, like eight or 10 points per game. That's a, it's a huge step back. Um, so, you know, that alone, you know, could give not only A&M, give a lot of other teams a shot. Um, and actually having Alabama be beatable because really truly last year, like that offense was so good that I feel like really no one had a legit shot. I know Georgia led at halftime, but, uh, you know, that was a team that just, there was no, no opponent that you could look at and say, yeah, they're like, they're actually capable of beating them. And I think that's the case this year. And you mentioned for A&M kind of the slow burn that's been leading up to this year. And that is um, just, you know, Jimbo building on back-to-back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes. Um, And not just top 10 recruiting classes, but, you know, if you took all of the recruiting classes that A&M has ever had since recruiting rankings existed, um, numbers one, two, and three are all Jimbo Fisher's classes. So he's brought in talent at a truly unprecedented level compared to what we've seen in College Station. Um, And on top of that, um, we have the same coordinators coming back for the fourth year in a row. Uh, You mentioned Mike Elko on defense, but also Daryl Dickey on the offensive side. And so I think the combination of that roster building that's happened over the past few years, as well as the continuity on the staff. So you have these players who have not only developed just physically, but have been in the same system and now know those systems like the back of their hand. I think everything is on the table for A&M. And as much as it makes me a homer, and I know it's, you know, maybe not the likely outcome, I'm absolutely predicting that this is the year that we knock off Alabama. Yeah, I mean, whenever you look at it, there's certainly the year that, that that you look at it and say, you kind of say everything is possible, especially it's really going to be a resurgence year throughout the, the entire country. And, and when A&M is, is as talented uh, as they certainly are, the, the world is, is, is their oyster. And if they, you know, I'm very curious to see how Bryce Young and the offense comes along at Alabama. I really yeah. think they're going to rely a lot on their defense, especially in the early part of the season until Bryce Young and that offense kind of gets the timing down, really rounds into form. So it's certainly going to be interesting to see where they are uh, rolling into to College Station on October 9th and really uh, where A&M is uh, with, with with their offense, with with Haynes King and the, and the game. But the final, the final thing that I have for you before I let you go is, is we're partnering with prize picks during the season to give uh, yardage over-unders, and they've got one on Isaiah Spiller, uh, right now for the season that I wanted to to get your thoughts on the rushing yards, uh, a prop and then a and then a rushing touchdowns, a uh, prop. So the the rushing yards is they got it at a thousand right now. We mentioned Devon Achan. We mentioned being able to use Haynes King in the running game. Does Isaiah Spiller get to over a thousand yards rushing this season? Or do you think he's a little bit under that given uh, what we what we've been talking about the other options in the run game? I think even despite all the other options that AM has and they're probably are going to utilize, 
I think he does get over a thousand just because, you know, last year he was just short of it. I think he was right around 970 and that was in only 10 games. Um, and, and that was also with him battling some nagging injuries over the last few games as well. So if he can stay healthy and he's playing a full 12 games, um, yeah, I, I'd be shocked if he's not over a thousand on the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I would too. I'd certainly put, I'd certainly take the over on that, especially like you mentioned, only played, only played 10 games last season, just, just under a thousand yards. So certainly adding those couple games, so I think certainly puts him over that number. And then the, the rushing touchdown number is he had nine, you know, nine rushing touchdowns last year, got it set at 10 right now. So adding those, those couple games, does he, do you think he gets over 10 rushing touchdowns or is he a little bit under that? That's when I might take the under only because, you know, we talked earlier so much about the, I think the mobility that Haynes King brings. So I think you're going to see a lot more of the, the RPOs. You're going to see more of like, you know, of Haynes King doing that play action and then pulling the ball. Um, and I think that's probably going to maybe snipe a few touchdowns from Siller that he would have gotten otherwise, where instead it's Haynes King just kind of jogging into the end zone over by himself in the corner. Um and, and, and once again, just I think this team relies as much as they're still going to be run first. I don't think they're going to be as run heavy as they were last year um, because I think that line's not going to be as good. And so I think you are going to need to rely on the passing game a little bit more. Um, so even though I think he'll still hit the thousand yard mark, I'd actually go under on the touchdowns. Yeah, I think I think I would, too. I think I think I'd be with you. Uh, on that, I don't know if that's that's one that that I'm that I'm gonna uh, you know place the prop on, but I definitely think he's gonna get over a thousand yards and then and then get over or get under ten touchdown. Like you mentioned, they have so many so many options, especially with with Anaya Smith in the red zone, Watermeyer in the red zone, and Haynes King's ability to to get those RPOs, run the football as well. I think they're I probably put him. Uh, under 10 as well so we got the same uh picks there but but robert thanks so much for for taking time today i know we're getting ready for the start of the season definitely got to get you back on bef- during the season to to talk about old, this kind of season that that a&m's having because it's you know the world's their oyster like we were talking about and to tell everybody where they can find you on social media where they can find uh you at at good bull hunting the sb nation site for a&m and really appreciate you taking some time today brother yeah, man. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, so I'm a, one of the managing editors at goodbullhunting.com, which is Texas A&M's SB Nation team site. Uh, so you can find a lot of my work over there. We do, you know, we try to, you know, keep you up to date with the team, but we also do a lot of just silly, stupid crap just because it makes us laugh at ourselves as well. Um, and as far as social media, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, and you see my handle right down there uh, is at RCB05. No doubt. Well, Robert, thanks so much for for taking time. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks so much to Robert for coming on today. And thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. If you like our props on Isaiah Spiller, head over to prizepicks.com. Use the code Crunch Time Plays. Sign up today and get that 100% deposit match up to $100 and and place your props on Isaiah Spiller because I think think we're giving you some some free money there. And, And make sure you subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Another edition of Crunch Time Plays talking Texas AM. God bless everybody.